Well, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Are we good? We good? How many are already worried about snow on their way out of here? All right, I'll be sure to be on time, I promise. I promise. Last week we were here, we were hoping for a Super Bowl victory, right? Yeah. Right? How many are excited we got that? Amazing. Just, I don't know that I've still recovered emotionally from that game. How many went to bed at halftime? There's more. Don't lie. No judgment. How many stayed up to the very end? Fantastic. How many hate the Patriots? Why did they, hey, listen, no, no, listen, why did they, they hate us because they, that's right, that's okay, right? If you're like me, you had someone record you, my wife was recording me, unbeknownst to me, while the last play was happening, screaming into pillows, so we didn't wake our children, but what a crazy game, whether you like the Patriots or not, what a crazy game, first Super Bowl game to ever go into overtime, down 28 to 3, are you kidding me? Just amazing, amazing stuff. I'm not sure the folks in Atlanta did on Monday, but I'm grateful I wasn't there, Amen. <laughs> But for those of you that don't know who I am, it's, my name is Jason Goslin. I am not. I don't know why I fumbled over my last name there. I apologize. <laughs> but I'm not Pastor Derek. I'm, you know, I'm only the size of one of Pastor Derek's legs, just the, the size of a man. So I am not him. He is actually down in Virginia. I said Oklahoma first service. I apologize in case anyone went looking for him and you're in Oklahoma. <laughs> That's my bad. That's my bad. He's down at Church on the Move in Virginia. He's an overseer for that church. He gets to spend the weekend and just kind of encourage. How many know pastors need pastors too, right? So he gets to encourage the pastor down there and the team and just speak life, and he gets to speak on the platform today, and it's just an amazing opportunity. Our pastor has a heart not just for this church, but the church, the one that God sent Jesus to die for, not just these four walls. So that's an amazing, amazing opportunity. There's a scripture in Zechariah that says, if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And Pastor Derek loves to say, well, then if you shore up the shepherd, sheep will gather. So what an awesome opportunity that he gets to shore up a shepherd today, right? So if you think about that, well, actually, let's, let's pray for him right now. Is that okay? Yeah. You pray for him? God, thank you so much for our pastor. Thank you that his heart is not about his platform. It's not about his church, but it is about the platform and the church. Thank you so much, God, that he sees beyond the four walls of Connect Community Church for the bride that you envisioned when you sent your son and the bride that he envisioned when he endured the cross. Thank you so much that he and really us as a local expression of the faith get to participate and partner with his vision, which is really about beyond these four walls. Thank you so much for his safe travels. Bring him home safely, and may you right now begin speaking through him in a way that would just capture the minds of those people and cause them to leave differently than they were when they walked into that building, not because of him, but because of the him that he knows so intimately well. We love you, God, and love our pastor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said a great big amen. amen and amen. Do me a favor, too. I know pastor's not here, but his wife, Stacy's here. She shoveled out her driveway by herself <laughs> or made one of her kids do it, which is fine, too, because when you get there, you can do that. But we're grateful for our pastor and his wife. Amen. amen. Just an amazing couple that lead. You can platform. That's good. That's good. That's good. And we honor them because of the church we experienced, but before we were ever here, they were creating their own little church and their family, right? And if you're going to lead a church well, you've got to lead your family well. And they have four kids that are a walking testimony to who they are as parents, which is really a testimony to who they are as people. So thank you for being you, and we are grateful to be part of your church. Amen. So give it up one more time for your pastor. He'll listen to it, so make it loud. We want him to hear it. We love you guys. So, so grateful. So we're thrilled. I'm thrilled that you uh, are here for us, here with us. I'm fumbling. This is going to go well. <laughs> 
anyway. So we're glad you're here for part two of the Don't Do Life Alone series. Last week, Pastor Derek talked about finding an Aaron, right? A strategic relationship. How many were here last week? Just an amazing message, right? What an awesome story and a vision of Moses and the struggle he was having and who he was. People recalled things about Moses that he had forgotten and believed lies about himself. So he was wandering in the wilderness until Aaron was sent by God to speak life into him and be a strategic relationship so he could help fulfill the call in his life. What an awesome thing. And if you're like me, I left here last week thinking, you know what, I, I can't wait till another Aaron enters my life and maybe I'll do some different things. Right? And I started feeling badly, like, why don't I have more errands? Why don't I have more errands in my life? And I feel like God on the ride home poked me right in the heart and just said, instead of looking for an errand, why don't you look for opportunities to be an errand? And it was in that moment that I just was very aware of our human nature. We tend to look for things to help us, right? It's just natural. That's kind of what we want to do. There's a scripture in 2 Timothy that talks about a time where people wander around looking for people that will say what their itching ears want to hear. And it's just human nature. So I left thinking about finding an Aaron, but I believe God wants me and all of us in this place to instead try to be an Aaron for somebody else. I think all of us in this place are an answer to a prayer someone is praying right now. And in order, order for us to be that person, I'm going to talk to you today about emotional health. We've got to be emotionally healthy. And really, at the end of the day, being emotionally healthy results in us loving who we are and trusting that God made us with a purpose, on purpose, with intention and intentionality so that we can be an Aaron in somebody's life. Amen? So that's what I want to talk to you about today. I appreciate you being ready to listen. This is something that I am super excited about. So if I go off course, I'm not sorry. I just feel bad for you. Um, you can laugh at that. That was okay. That was funny, right? No? All right. Well, now I'm nervous. Here we go. Here's your big idea for today, okay? And then I'm going to unpack it. In order for you and I to love others well, which is really what this series is about, don't do life alone, figuring out a way for us to love other people well, whether it's our spouse, our kids, our community, our coworkers, we want to be people that love others well. And in order for us to do that, we have to prioritize becoming and staying healthy emotionally. If we're going to love others well, we've got to prioritize that. And it's not a destination we arrive at. There's not a day where we realize, you know what, I'm healthy emotionally, I don't have to address. This is an ongoing process. We're constantly evaluating where we're at and growing up in this area. All right, and for me, like I said, I'm passionate about this. It's been really for the last six or seven years for me because at the age of 30, 31, I realized I was an emotional toddler. Right? Anyone ever been called emotional? Raise your hand. Right? It's never a compliment, right? No one ever goes, you know what, you're really overreacting to the situation. I think it's really cool. It's helping me understand... <laughs> more about you. You're called emotional when it's, when it's really, what's wrong? Why are you acting that way? You're so emotional, right? And when they want to flip it on you and compliment you because there is some good things to being emotional, what do they call you? You're so sensitive. He's so sensitive. Look how sensitive he is. He's crying. It's a, it's a soap commercial. He's so sensitive, right? For those of us that are emotional and sensitive, we know what you're doing when you call us those things, and we really, we don't really like it all that much, right? But it's never a compliment. But at that phase of my life, I realized I was an emotional toddler, Right? Being called a toddler is also not a compliment, right? If you've ever <laughs> witnessed a toddler. I have one at home, so I can say that. You know, toddlers are challenging little human beings, aren't they? Right? You've got to convince them to eat their dinner. My daughter would not eat all day if we didn't bribe her, right? My wife made a treasure map, and she cut it into like nine pieces, and she bribed her. Every time she completed a meal without arguing, she'd get a piece of a puzzle. And she put that puzzle together, and my wife went out in a blizzard and buried a box of nickels and bead necklaces, and called it treasure. And my daughter loved it, and it's fantastic. But what are we going to do now? The treasure's been found. Like she won't eat. 
got a briber for everything. If you go to bed, I'll give you whatever you want. Just go to bed. <laughs> right? But when I was 30 years old, I was challenged in the season of life I was in where I realized I was an emotional toddler. I wasn't processing things well. I was overreacting. I was emotional, and I was just causing a lot of damage because I hadn't really grown up emotionally. And as a 30-year-old person, it's, it's not something you're aware of. You just, you have to be told it, right? Our pursuit of health is never proactive. It's always reactive. And we'll get into emotions, and I know it's a tough subject, right? It's new, you know, we're talking about feelings. Where, where are we? If he makes me hold someone's hand, I'm leaving, right? <laughs> I'm not going to make you do that. But it's always reactive, never proactive. I went to the doctor for the first time in seven years because my wife made me, right? And the doctor walks in. He says, what are you doing here? I was like, I don't know. He goes, well, you're young. You're married? I said, yeah. He goes, that's why you're here, right? Your wife made you come? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, that's one of the reasons young people come here. I was like, thank you for calling me young, right? But young people come here that appear healthy on the outside. The only reason they're here is because someone sent them here or because they're dealing with something tragic in their health. How sad. The only time we go to a doctor is when we have a heart, a heart attack, or we have something go wrong with us, or someone makes us go. Our pursuit of our physical health is reactive, not proactive. And it's the same thing with our emotions, right? When I was in therapy, the therapist, yes, I was in therapy. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I have a therapist. That's okay, right? When I was in therapy, the same guy, he told me the same thing. Why are you here? I was sent here. He said, that's exactly why anyone comes here. They're either sent here by someone they know, or they're dealing with tragedy, loss, depression, anxiety, whatever it is. And I think that's so sad that our pursuit of health, whether it's physical or emotional, is never proactive. It's always reactive. And if you're ever going to sustain your health physically or emotionally and sustain it, it can't be reactive. Because by that point, it might be too late. It might be something you can just maintain. You've got to proactively pursue health physically and emotionally. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I was handed a book by my therapist called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, written by a man named Peter Scazzaro. He's a pastor in New York, specifically Queens. He was leading a mega church, and at his point in his life when he wrote this book, his wife looked at him and said, I don't, wanna f I don't even want to go to your church anymore. If I wasn't married to you, I would not follow your leadership. He had a mega church, and his wife didn't want to attend his church anymore just because she was married to him. And how many know it's easy to lead crowds from a distance sometimes? But oftentimes, it's those that are up close to us that get hit with the shrapnel of our disease that make decisions. And this man was confronted with that reality. And I can't imagine that. <laughs> you're leading a church. You're up every week speaking, and people are saying, what a great message. Then you go home, and your wife says, I would not go there if I didn't have to. Man, what a brutal, brutal time. But he wrote this book, and I was handed this book, <clears throat> Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it's it's flipped my world upside down to the point where it's something I'm as passionate about this subject as I am anything. It saved my life, if I'm honest with you. But I never would have, as a 30-something-year-old man, proactively said, you know what I want to do? I've got to go talk to someone about my emotional health. I feel like my emotions are a little, they're a little askew. I think I'm going to seek out an opportunity to share that with someone I don't know. <laughs> and then go ahead and address it publicly. That's what I want to do. But I found myself in a situation where someone said, you need some help. Need some help. And I found myself in a room with a man I did not know who wanted to ask me how I felt. And in that moment, I was like, what, you want to know how I feel? I want to know why I'm in a room with a closed door with you. <laughs> uh, you've asked me to lie down twice. 
I don't know you. I don't, I don't, you want to know how I feel? I, f- I feel a little uncomfortable right now. That's how I feel. <laughs> but it's, it's the same thing, right? It's reactive. I wasn't there proactively. It was very hard for me to get anything out of that initially, but it saved my life at some point. In the book, Peter Scazzaro says this. Right, I want to read this so I don't mess it up. Very, very few people emerge from their families of origin emotionally whole or mature. How encouraging. <laughs> How encouraging, right? Jason, how'd it go? Great, no one's coming back, but it went really, really well. Really, really well. Very few people emerge from their families of origin emotionally whole or mature. And as I say that out loud, as someone who has two children, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Lily is doing the best she can, but we realize that at some point, our kids are going to have conversations with someone about us. And it's, it's okay, right? We're not, we don't wake up every morning and go, you know what, how can I really rattle her emotionally right now? <laughs> How can I really like, just have her question everything? No one does that, right? And you guys know this. We do the best we can with what we know. But there's going to be moments where my daughter is challenged emotionally, where my son is challenged emotionally because of actions I take, decisions I make, choices I make, that I don't intend to hurt her, but that it, it's going to happen because I'm imperfect. Thank God God covers for bad parenting, right? I take solace in that. But the reality is I'm going to unintentionally hurt my kids. My parents unintentionally hurt me. They didn't set out to have me at 30-something years old in therapy. They didn't do that. No one does. But when you peel back and realize that people do the best they can with what they have, my biological father left my mom when I was one, came back, my mom got pregnant with my brother, and then he left for good. And as a a one-and-a-half-year-old kid, you don't process that and go, boy, this is really going to do a number on me (laughs) later in life. But at 19 years old, you, know, you don't give him much thoughts. You don't realize it hurts because he's, he's not real to you. He's an idea, right? But at 19 years old, on the way home from a basketball game in college, I got a call that said, you know what, he's, your, father's, your father's passed away. And in that moment, I realized that part of me wanted to meet him. Part of me maybe always thought I would. But in that moment, I realized that was no longer an option, and it broke me. And as a 19-year-old man on a bus with other 19-year-old men, that was really awkward. Because they don't know. What's wrong with Jay? Jay, you all right? Yeah, my father just passed away. Oh, he'll be fine. No, I think you missed this. (laughs) He's not going to be fine. (laughs) But it's uncomfortable. People experiencing intense emotion is uncomfortable for people. It's uncomfortable for us, but it's uncomfortable for those around us. And I'm thinking that maybe in your life there's something that you're not aware of that might come up to the surface at some point if we don't proactively pursue our emotional health and cause some damage we don't want to cause. So I digress, right? I digress. But like I said, very few people come back or emerge from their family emotionally whole. When I look back at my biological father's history, I found out he, you know, he's married and divorced three times. I have half-siblings I don't know. When you look back at his life, his father left his mother when he was a teenager for another woman. I believe that my grandfather on my, bo- my father's side did the best he could with what he knew. I believe my biological father did the best he could with what he knew. I don't blame him. And I believe my parents did the best they could with what they knew, and they did a great job. And I believe I'm going to do the best I can with what I know, and I'm going to do a great... And it happens. But how many know that if we're not arriving out of our families of origin whole, that's not mine, <laughs> um, we're broken. If we're not emotionally mature, we're immature. And hurt people hurt people. 
And broken people break people. It's not intentional. It just happens because it's all we know. So we've got to proactively pursue our emotional health. How many watch the show This Is Us? Amazing. I, you hear somebody go, oh, I wish my husband was like Randall. Get it. I get it. I get it. He's fantastic. But the show, I read a review on the show, and it talks about how it beautifully depicts the brokenness of family. And it's so true. The characters are awesome, and you just see people do the best they can, but then have these private moments where their brokenness is just, oh, very, very evident. No one sets out to destroy their kid. No one sets out to challenge their wife. No one sets out to have a... It happens because we don't address our emotional brokenness. We neglect it until we have to address it. And that's what happens. But it's, it's the same thing. I don't know what it is for you guys. I don't know what your family look like. I don't know what you're challenged by, but there is a lot of emotional sickness. I believe what Peter Scazzaro said, that very few of us graduate from our families whole and mature just because. Right? And if that's true there's probably some conversations we all have to have that are honest and addressing where we're at emotionally. And you might be sitting here thinking, I'm fine. I'm emotionally mature. This guy he is a therapist, and they give him a microphone? Why are they doing that? <laughs> it's okay. You can judge me. <laughs> Please don't. Um, here are some symptoms about being emotionally unhealthy, right? Just a checklist. Just rip through them. You don't have to raise your hand and be like, that's me. Just think about it, right? Proactively, right? We talk about someone rather than to someone. If we're talking about people rather than to people, that's emotionally unhealthy. Oh, I'm just going to pray for them. Stop it. Stop it. Stop overestimating your heart for that person. You're simply seeking out an opportunity to talk about them. But let me tell you this. When you talk to someone, you instantly elevate them over you, which is the life you're called to live. But that's hard, right? But when you go to someone and say, you know what, I'm going to talk about an offense. I'm hurt. You've challenged me in a way, but I'm going to elevate you because I believe you value me and I believe you're worthy of opportunities to change. That's a huge olive branch. But all too often we go over here, can you believe what she did? I'm going to tell you about this. He's an idiot, and let me tell you why. All of us stir up all this stuff, and then we go back, and eventually it's made right this way, but we never go back over here and talk about what they did to make it right. So now these people think ill of this person because of the conduit I became. We talk about people rather than to people. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it might mean there might be some emotional growing up that has to happen if you're talking about people more than to people. Second thing, you evaluate people. You evaluate their decisions, you evaluate their clothing, you evaluate their job, you evaluate their presentation, you evaluate them. And I'm not saying you're trying to help them, you're being critical. If you find yourself evaluating people, trying to dismiss what they've done, to feel better about us or whatever it might be, that's a sign of emotional unhealthiness. What about this one? We rehearse or replay conflict. Rehearse or replay conflict. Ever have a conversation with someone that was a conflict and then you leave that conversation and you immediately think about, man, I wish I said this. Next time this happens, I'm saying this. Mic drop, they're gonna get it. <laughs> then you might even go back to that person, try to recreate the situation. How sick is this? Just so you can use what you rehearsed. <laughs> right? The laughter says it ain't just me. And I'm glad. Right? But we rehearse for conflict. We don't rehearse or practice to resolve it. We rehearse or practice to try to win it. And let me just tell you, this isn't an original thought for me, but conflict is an assignment. Pastor Derek talks about this all the time. And if we prioritize being right, we'll never make a difference. 
We can't prioritize being right. We've got to prioritize right standing. That just doesn't work in marriage. That works with people in general. If you enter into conflict having practiced to win it, you will lose it every time. But if you enter into conflict prioritizing right standing, rehearsing the right emotions, rehearsing the right delivery, somebody might resolve some conflict. And that's a big step, not just for people, but for the church particularly, in my opinion. What about this? Leveraging unforgiveness. You, want, you don't forgive somebody. You look forward to opportunities to be in their company so you can display your unforgiveness. Now communicate it, just display it. You're not getting any eye contact from me, pal. You and I have a thing. <laughs> Maybe they say something. <laughs> you leverage unforgiveness. This person isn't even, they just think you're tired or maybe drinking. I don't know what they think, <laughs> right? But here's the deal. We try to leverage unforgiveness. Someone said it this way. If you, it's like drinking poison, expecting it to affect someone else. When you try to leverage unforgiveness, you do nothing but cause confusion and hurt yourself inside because you're hoping that your action will result in something from them. And then when that doesn't happen, you're even more upset than them. And they're unaware because you're not communicating. If you're leveraging unforgiveness and you're looking for opportunities to make someone uncomfortable, you're probably challenged emotionally. Maybe you use your emotions to manipulate others. Right? Maybe you walk into a room and you can go ahead and impact that room in a way that is just crazy. Like, you ever been around people, they walk in and everything just feels cold? <laughs> right? I can do that in a room. I can walk into a room and impact it negatively. I've done it. But let me tell you this, if that's you, and you're sitting here thinking, that's me, I, I'm, I'm terrible at that. Let me just tell you that that is because the enemy is leveraging a gift that was given to you by God. Here's what I mean. God gives gifts without repentance. You have a gift. Everybody has a gift. He's not taking it back. But if you find yourself leveraging the room to impact it in a negative way, it's because the enemy is using a gift that God's given you for good. God has gifted you with influence. And he wants to see you just like me, right? I can cause a room to go wrong. I can cause a room to go right. I can bring levity, I can make people laugh, I can have people feel encouraged, I can refresh people when they're in my company. But when I'm not right, I can do the opposite. So if this is you, God's gifted you. And that may be a square peg in a round hole right now because you're very aware that you impact the room in the wrong way. God is intended different for that gift. And you're capable of a lot with it when you get emotionally healthy. Don't mistake it. It's one of the best ways to figure out where you're gifted. Why do you think it's so hard to address our emotions? The devil wants us to not do it. One of the best ways to figure out where you're gifted, this is off script, I told you, I'm off script. Um, I'm going to try to get you out of here on time. One of the best ways to find out you're, where you're gifted is to find out where you're messing up. If you hurt people's feelings a lot, and you're reactive, it's because God wants, to be an, wants you to be an encourager. If you're gifted with words and can cut somebody up in an argument, you always know what to say, it's because he wants you to communicate the right thing. It's the truth. If you want to know where you're gifted, look at where you're making mistakes. Stop letting the enemy leverage the gift that God gave you because it's key. What does Pastor Derek do? Right. Maybe you do this. Maybe you do this, right? Maybe you voice problems without caring about the resolution. Maybe you communicate problems without caring about the resolution. Oh, it's a gift of discernment. I can see what's wrong. The true gift of discernment doesn't just see what's wrong, sees what needs to be and speaks that into existence. So if you're sitting here talking about problems without presenting pr solutions, knock it off. We might need to grow up a little bit. I was the king of that. 
I can see what's wrong. I'm, I add value. I tell you what's wrong. That's not value. Nothing positive comes from being negative. So if you're being negative, it's because God's gifted you to be positive. Let's figure that out so we can present solutions, not just problems. Maybe you categorize your life or your language. When I played hoops as a young guy, or I, you know, I still play hoops now, I have to consciously make myself aware of the language I choose. Constantly. And I would categorize my life and think, well, it's okay because it's competition, and God, I'll apologize later, and everything's fine. And, but it's not the case. The Bible says an, a, a, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if you're categorizing any area of your life, you're going to be unstable in every way of your life. So if it's your language, if it's what you watch, if it's the way you treat your wife, if it's the way you treat your husband, if it's the things you say when you're alone, whatever it is, if you're categorizing what's allowed and not allowed based on the environment you put yourself in, you're going to experience instability in your whole life. You can't do that. That might be a sign that we're emotionally unhealthy. Maybe you lash out. And then this is the last one, and this is the big one, right? You're emotionally unhealthy if the people you're around are withering rather than blooming. If your immediate circle of people is withering rather than blooming, it might be because we've got to grow up a little bit emotionally. And I had to look at myself in this phase of life and be like, my wife is withering. And there's a scripture that talks about your wife should be like a watered plant. I'm blanking on the reference. But your wife and your immediate sphere of influence should be blossoming. Your immediate sphere of influence should be blooming. But if they're withering, it might be because our emotions aren't where they need to be. All right, okay, we got that? We did a little pro proactive checkup. I believe that God has created us in his image, as it says in Genesis 1.27, right? And I believe that this diagram right here, there's five parts to who we are, all right? I'm sorry about my handwriting. It's terrible. And I think if we ignore any aspect of this pie chart, it drastically impacts our relationship with God, ourselves, and other people. We can't ignore one of them, right? So we've got social, right? So relationships, small groups, Whatever it is, people you interact with socially, it happens almost automatically, right? You've got people you're around socially. Whether it's you're a kid, social stuff happens. Spiritual, you're here in church. And here's a big one. People come to church oftentimes, and we get a lot of spiritual information. We've got a growth, next steps, discipleship, all of this stuff. But it's sometimes done at the expense of addressing this. And the knowledge we gain here can only outrun the knowledge we don't have here for so long. Right? Spiritual. So you're getting this, giving this some attention. Physical, right? Working out's a good thing. I'm not saying go to the gym and lift 600 pounds like Pastor Derek. 600 pounds is 600 pounds. It's on the ground for a reason. Put it down. <laughs> right? Put it down. Put it down. It's 600 pounds, bro. If you've got to wear a special suit to lift something, you shouldn't be lifting it. Put it down. Put it down. Physical, right? But it's a good thing. Here's what I know. An active body leads to a peaceful mind. An active body leads to a peaceful mind. I'm not saying you got to do that, but get up and go for a walk. Go for a hike. Walk your dog. If you don't have a dog, buy a dog. Don't buy a dog. Don't buy a dog. Don't buy a dog. Go find someone who has a dog. Offer to walk that dog, right? Okay. Intellect. We send our kids to school. They read. They watch educational shows. We, we stop learning at a certain age. Why? We can't stop learning. Intellect, if we neglect our intellect, we, it's challenging. But here's the, here's the one that doesn't just happen. This just happens, and it happens, right, whether we want it to or not. This happens sometimes because we walked here, we walked, we sat down, right? This happens because we're here. This happens because we're around people, whether we like people or not. But this one just kind of gets neglected. And I am telling you, if you neglect any one of these areas, 
It's gonna impact your relationship with God, yourself, and other people in a way that you can't imagine. And it will be something you have to address reactively. And you find yourself in a tough spot. Here's a checkup we can give ourselves, all right? I wanna give you three things, and then we'll go through a couple other things, and I'll get you out of here on time. Are we getting something out of this, or is this just me kind of venting? Okay, good, good. Here's a checkup, three things. So you're here thinking about this, but the way that God has designed us to be like him in his image, we've got to know what that is. So the first thing, we've got to know my true self. Know my true self. Ephesians 4.22 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Say attitude of my mind. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness starts with the way we think, right? And here's the deal. Here's three lies we buy, right? We want you to know your true self, but here's three lies you're confronted with every day that cause you to not know who you are in Christ, right? First thing is I am what I do. I am what I do. This one's brutal because people lose jobs every day. You are not what you do. (laughs) You're not what you do. You have a job, but that's not who you are, okay? I am what I have, Don't get it twisted. In the world we live in today, we don't possess anything. They possess us. Okay? That's not what you are. If you don't have a three-piece suit, it's all good. If you have one, it's all good. It's not who you are. The third one, I am what others think I am. If you survive on the compliments of people, you will die when they criticize you. You are not what people say you are. Whether you know it or not, you're a child of God. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big idea and it's all this stuff, but whether you know it, you're in a relationship with him or not, I'm not sure. You are a child of God. You were created on purpose, with a purpose. You are special. I believe you're an answer to someone's prayer right now. And that may be hard to get your head around because of the circumstances you find yourself in, because of the emotional brokenness you're dealing with, whatever it might be, but let me speak through that today. You are a child of God. I don't care what mistakes you've made, you're making or you will make. God loves you. And you are intentionally designed to make a difference in the world you live in. You're not what you do. You're not what you have. And you're not what anyone says you are. Know your true self. God thought of you for a lot. Right? Second thing you got to do. Right? You got to learn to feel. If you read your Bible, you read about God having feelings all throughout it. God was angered. God was overjoyed. Moved with compassion. Our God is a God of feelings. So you and I have feelings, but all too often we push past them. We have to learn to feel. Casting down, 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations. Everyone say imagination. Imagination. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen to this. Emotions, right, become feelings, become thoughts, become words, become actions. Emotions become feelings, become thoughts, become words, become actions. But all too often, the action we take isn't because of the original emotion. It's because of what we've imagined in our mind. I chose that translation because of the word imaginations. You and I feel things all the time. But before we ever act on it, we then have thoughts, we then have feelings, we then have words, and then we take action. But we've let so much time pass that we react in a way that isn't addressing the original emotion. It's addressing what we've created in our own mind. And the person we're reacting to has no idea where that came from, and nothing gets resolved. Pastor Ernie said this, and I'll never forget it. Someone may tip over the vase that is my life. Someone may knock it over. 
But what comes out of that vase is up to me. Someone may bump it. Someone may knock it over. It's going to happen. But what comes out of that is on me. I've got to make sure I'm proactively, emotionally healthy so when that day comes, I'm not going to experience something on somebody else that they don't want to experience. We can't just let our emotions become actions without addressing what we're feeling. And most Christians, right, we don't think we have permission to feel. Right, we experience feelings. There's hundreds of feelings we can experience. I was so worried that was going to go poorly. That went really smoothly. I'm glad, right? There's hundreds of emotions you and I experience, but researchers have categorized them into eight families, okay? And as Christians, even people, we think we don't have permission to feel, but especially as Christians, we, I'm angry. I can't feel anger. Let me tell you, God experienced anger, okay? The Bible says don't sin in your anger. It doesn't say don't become angry. You're going to be angry at things. I have a toddler, I'm angry plenty. Lily is married to me. She's always angry. <laughs> right? Just kidding. If you know Lily, you know that's the exact opposite of the reality I live in. Thank God. <laughs> All right? So anger is legit. You're going to feel it. God was moved with compassion. You're going to feel things. It's all about how we process it. Right? God didn't become his feeling. He became aware of his feeling. And that's what you and I need to do. Right? But there's hundreds of things we can feel in emotions. But there's eight categories. Right? Anger. Right? It's a big one. Sadness, right? Fear, enjoyment, love. Love's also a decision, right? But it starts as an emotion. We've got to make up our mind. Let's go ahead and not just rely on the emotion. It's a decision we make, but it starts as an emotion, right? Surprise, disgust, and shame. Everything you feel can fall into one of these categories. But as Christians, we oftentimes don't want to acknowledge it. We're just like, oh, that's not Christ-like. I don't want to talk about that. I'm not angry. Look at me. But then what happens is we try to outrun our feelings and our emotions, and eventually they catch us, and then they catch up on somebody else. And it causes more damage than we've ever intended. Part of casting down the imaginations and the thoughts that are against what God says is we've got to know what they are. Specific prayers get specific results. We've got to know what we're feeling, be able to voice it, and then go ahead and process it. Not just hope it doesn't show up in an awkward time. You guys ever watch Frozen? Right? Elsa puts on her gloves hoping the thick night would freeze. I feel like we walk around our life putting on gloves so no one sees that we freeze things that we touch. It's a silly example. I, I, I would never use this if I didn't have a daughter, right? It just came to me right now, which is awkward. I'm not thinking about Elsa, but it's a reality, right? We try to put on a glove that holds and protects everything we touch, but it doesn't amount to anything once it gets great enough. We try to address the symptom, not the issue. We've got to voice what we're feeling. Here's the third thing, Right? Here's the third thing. We need to go back in order to go forward. We need to go back in order to go forward. Unhealed wounds, like when my father left and I didn't know it was a wound there, right? But unhealed wounds open us up to habitual sin against God. And 1 John 5.18 says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. You're going to make mistakes, but you're not going to continue to do it. But if you are, there's a scripture that talks about everything. I always do the thing I hate. Why do I always do the thing I hate? Paul speaking. I know what to do, but I do the opposite. If you're doing that and you're struggling with that, it might be because of an unhealed wound you haven't addressed from wherever. We've got to address that, so we're not doing that. An unresolved conflict, guys, is one of the greatest tensions people in general, but honestly, the church, experience. Unresolved conflict, right? We, we avoid conversations when there's a challenge. And I'm not saying, here's the deal. We need to decide to forgive a person, which is great. A lot of us do that, but then we think a conversation doesn't need to happen. I submit to you, decide to forgive them, and then go have a conversation to make sure you guys are in right standing. All too often, 
we have a conversation to determine if we decide to forgive them. Right? Right? Makes sense? You've got to dis- I'm going to forgive this person, but I want to go ahead and make sure you understand. I'm feeling an emotion, and I trust you to elevate yourself and know you're capable of change. I want to see that in you, and I want to make sure we've got right standing. And it's going to be a conversation, not a confrontation, because I've already decided to forgive you. Versus I'm going to go, I'm go talk. get over here. Come here. I want to talk to you right now. I'm, based on how this goes, I'm going to decide whether I forgive you or not. Then it's a confrontation, and now two people are offended. Does that make sense? Like, unresolved conflict is brutal. We have to, have to, have to, have to address it. I put something on my Facebook this week um, that I think is just, I mean, I wouldn't have put I don't need to tell you it's good because I put it on my Facebook wall. But <laughs> I post what I think is terrible. Um, now, but here's a quote from the book, and I thought about unresolved conflict and this idea from Peter Scazzaro in the book. It says, every time I make an assumption about someone who has hurt or disappointed me without confirming it, I believe a lie about this person in my head. This assumption is a misrepresentation of reality. Because I have not checked it out with the other person, it is very possible I am believing something that is untrue. It is also likely that I will pass that false assumption around to other people. Unresolved conflict, is, it's, a, it's brutal. We can't, we can't do that. And one of the questions I had to ask people when I started talking to a therapist and realized I was an emotional toddler is I went back to go forward. I went back to people and I said, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Tell me what it's like to be on the other side of me. Pretending's a lot easier than being vulnerable. And they were hard conversations. But we've got to ask sometimes, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Because I'm aware of some things in me and I want to work on that and I'm hoping you'll help me do that. What's it like to be on the other side of me? But all too often, pretending we're okay is safer than that honesty and vulnerability. But in that moment of vulnerability and honesty, I was able to grow up emotionally. And the same is true for you. Don't wait until you're referred to a therapist. Don't wait until it's reactive. Let's proactively invest in our emotional health. And let's see what's there. Let's grow up a little bit emotionally so we can have the right conversations with people, right? I mean, I'm going to talk about Willow again. You guys, sorry. Daniel Tiger, anybody? Right? Okay. Daniel Tiger, I have a love-hate relationship with Daniel Tiger, right? Because I'm going to sing a little bit, and I apologize in advance. But Daniel Tiger says, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. I don't want Willow thinking when she's 30 years old and her marriage is challenging, she can take a deep breath, count to four, and the husband's going to go, I get it now. It's helpful for a child, but it's not a skill that's transferable. Makes sense? My mother counted a lot when I was a kid. Why is she always counting? Is it a countdown to a, a beating or a punishment? No. We all count. I do it in your own head. You're like, does it help? No. Right? There's another one. In whatever you do, think about what other people need to. It's so sweet. It doesn't work. She doesn't share anything. Right? It doesn't work. It's a nice sentiment, but it's not transferable. We've got to have skills and things that actually work so we're not raising these kids that just count and sing to themselves, because then they'll always relate well to people, because no one wants to talk to those people. <laughs> all right, I, felt, I feel better. I feel better. All right? So here's some signs of emotional health. All right? Maybe we're growing up a little bit. Maybe you're seeing progress in some area, which is great. Here's some signs for emotional health, and I'll give you a final thought, and we're done. Okay? We are able to communicate opinions without becoming adversarial. Able to communicate opinions without becoming adversarial. If there is a time where this is 
there's ever been a time where this is important, it's today. Are we able to communicate opinions without becoming adversarial? And I'm just going to vent for a minute, right? Facebook is not where you do this, okay? So get off your Facebook, man. Get off it. Here's the deal, right? Here's the deal. And again, it's, it's my own. If you don't like it, unfollow. That's the wrong idea too, right? Or I'm just going to block it. It's the wrong idea. Let's peel back from the initial sentiment and understand that if you want to vent, vent somewhere where it's for you. Right? But if you can't communicate an opinion that be, it, without becoming adversarial, it might not be the time to communicate it. And again, you can communicate your opinion, and you might do it the right way, and someone else might receive it the wrong way. Let's go ahead and think about that person before we go ahead and just throw something out there. Okay? We've got to communicate things without being adversarial. It's a huge opportunity for the church right now to be able to communicate an opinion that might be different than the popular opinion without becoming an adversary of those people we are trying to reach. Let's go ahead and do it. I'm not saying don't speak truth. I'm not saying don't go ahead and get righteously indignant. I'm not saying don't get angry. I'm angry about things. God's angry about things. But do not sin in your anger. Find a way to not be an adversary. Sorry. All right? Second thing, you're growing up emotionally if you can appreciate people. Appreciate people. Appreciate their differences. Appreciate the value they bring. All of us bring value. If you can find it in somebody amidst the, good, the bad, you're becoming emotionally mature. People will challenge you in this, right? They'll challenge you in this. But if you can see the good in somebody, you are becoming an errand for someone. In the midst of their garbage, I think about the woman caught in adultery. One of my favorite points in scripture, he looks at her and the Bible says he addresses her as woman. Think about what she'd been called the whole way there. Think about what she'd been called. She'd been caught in the act of adultery. And those pious, self-righteous guys dragged her out of bed naked and throw her at the feet of Jesus. Think about what they called her on the way there. And he looks at her and says, woman, value, person, human, I'm not judging you. And I'm going to call you a name that doesn't demean you. How powerful. We can do the same thing. Give people room to make mistakes. One of the coolest things I ever heard from Pastor Derek is that I had permission to fail. Because if you can have permission to fail and see that everything's good when you do fail, you realize that failure happens. It's not who you are. Right? You're going to make mistakes, but if you have permission to fail, you see that it's just an event that you can push past and not be a failure. That's a great thing. Give people the permission to make mistakes. I've got to give my kids room to make mistakes. Even though I don't want them to ever get hurt, ever make a mistake and protect them from everything, one of the most valuable things I can do for my kids is let them fail. And pick them up when they do and help them not do it again. You've got to help them fail. Respect others without having to change them. Become a peacemaker, speak life to somebody and encourage somebody. Right? Encourage somebody. You guys can put your notes away. I've got a final thought for you and then we'll go. All right? Thank you for listening to me ramble and vent. Um, but final thought, right? Being an Aaron, loving others well, prioritizing our emotional health. It's the thing, but really the biggest sign, symptom of emotional health is that you love who you are. Devin and Natalia shared at the 508 on Friday. If you have a chance, look that up. Just watch this powerful stuff. You've got to love who you are. You've got to love who you are. You want to know if you're emotionally healthy? You accept who God's made you to be, and you do your best to be the best you that you can in partnership with him. If you're going to be an Aaron, if you're going to love somebody well, you've got to love who you are first. You guys can stand to your feet. Closing thought for you. Again, Psalm 139 says, we were created in our, 
God created us in our inmost being, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. You are his work. We've got to know there's value there. The extent to which you and I love ourselves is the extent to which you and I can love other people. If we're going to be an Aaron for someone else, we've got to love who we are. And if you find yourself struggling to love other people, it might be because at the core of your being, you're struggling to love yourself. Yeah. And that's not always easy. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes as I pray for you? One of the hardest things for me was being vulnerable with that therapist for that time. But I tell you, eventually the pain of pretending became more than the pain of being vulnerable. And I had to make a decision. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, I've never thought about my emotional health before ever, but I'm thinking about it a little bit right now. And there's some areas where maybe I need to grow up a little bit emotionally. First step in getting help, the first step in doing it is acknowledging it and understanding and naming what you struggle with. So if that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? You're struggling emotionally all over the room. One of the coolest things I ever realized in that season of my life is that I was not alone. There is no sin unique to you. The enemy wants you to think you're alone in this. The enemy wants you to think it's yours, so you hide it. So it can derail who he's designed you to be forever. Don't let him do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just pray. You can put your hand on your heart if that's you. God, thank you so much for acknowledged need. Thank you that you want us to understand our emotions. You don't want us to become our emotions. You want us to become aware of our emotions so that we can process them and be emotionally whole and mature and at some point be called to an assignment that you've given us, to be an Aaron for somebody who might need a strategic partner so that together they can make a difference in the world that they couldn't make alone. May we no longer seek to find an Aaron for ourselves, but may we prioritize being an Aaron for someone else. May we make ourselves available for that, God. As we raise our hand and say, this is me, I'm struggling in my emotions. I'm struggling in my emotional healthiness. I am struggling here. May that first acknowledged need result in them getting the help they need. Getting the help they need, not just so that they can be better, but so that you can do something in and through them that will blow their minds in the name of Jesus. And lastly, before I let you go, every head bowed still, every eye closed. Maybe you've never put your life in Jesus' hands. You've been trying to do it on your own for a long time, and it hasn't worked. But this morning, you say, you know what? I want to leave here different. Not because you heard a message from me or because you raised your hand, but because you want to put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ. The person that God sent to the earth to die on a cross, to be raised to life so that you can have right standing with him. If that's you for the first time, maybe you've never done it before. I'm going to count to three. I don't want hands to go up because you think other hands are going up. I want you to do it because it's something between you and God. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to make you sign anything simply want to pray for you. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Right here in the front. God bless you. Raise your hand good and high. I don't want to miss it. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's the only thing that's going to make a difference. Right there at your seat, you can put your hands down. I'm going to pray with you right under your breath at your seat. Just repeat after me. The prayer will not save you, but if you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, the Bible says you are saved and you're a new creation. And you can start this journey of becoming emotionally healthy, being held in the hands of the Savior and the God who love you and have created you on purpose. Say this, say, dear Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice on my behalf. I trust you and I look forward 
to what you can do in and through my life as I learn to trust you in every area, my emotions, my feelings, my work, my family. Thank you so much for who you are and who you've created me to be. In Jesus' name, everyone said a great big. Did you pray thank you so much. You give it up one time.